0: Well, we are beginning a new sermon series today through the book of Jonah, and it's a story that many of us know well, but also one that few of us probably know where to find in our Bibles. Uh, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's page 774. If you're trying to find it in your own Bible, it's between Obadiah and Micah, which, which might not provide a lot more help uh, You can always check your table of contents. If you're a church person, you probably are quite familiar with the story of Jonah. Even if you're not particularly religious, you probably know something about this story. Uh, It's a very popular story in kids' Sunday school classes, uh, children's books for kids. Uh, Some of you may have grown up watching the VeggieTales version of the story of Jonah, but here's the thing. Our familiarity with this story makes it difficult for us to hear the, the true message of Jonah. You know, we think we know what this story is all about. It's about a guy and a whale, right? No, it's not. Uh, the whale is not the thing. In fact, a whale doesn't even show up in the story. It's a great fish, is all the, the text says. And it's only mentioned three times. This this great fish, whatever it is, uh, uh, swallows Jonah. Jonah spends three nights, three nights in the belly of the fish. And then the fish vomits him up back up onto dry land. That's it. That That's all... We hear about this great fish. And the story of Jonah is much more complex, much more interesting, much more challenging than we often realize. I mean, just think about Jonah for a moment, the, the central character in this story, God's prophet. He's a rotten dude. <laughs> he's a terrible character. Uh, he's, he's rebellious. He's proud, self-righteous, self-absorbed, he's angry, grumpy, lacking compassion. Not exactly what you would expect from one of God's prophets. And at the heart of this story, at the heart of the book of Jonah, is a conflict. It's a theological conflict between Jonah and God. You see, I don't want to give away too much of the story, even though you probably know it, but... But Jonah thinks that God is a little too free with His mercy. Jonah thinks that God is too lenient. You know, um, you know, it's as if he's saying to God, you know, you need to rein in the mercy a little bit. We need a little more justice over here. Stop being so wishy-washy about sin. And that's why we've titled this sermon series, God's Scandalous Mercy. Jonah is scandalized by God's mercy, and we the readers, in a sense, should be scandalized by it as we enter into this story. This, The book of Jonah forces us to reflect on a few things. Let me just mention them to you very briefly. It forces us to reflect on God's boundless mercy. The, the God of the book of Jonah, the God of the Bible, uh, he desires to extend mercy to his rebellious human creatures, whether those rebellious creatures are in the church or outside of the church. God's boundless mercy is something the book of Jonah forces us to reflect on. It also forces us to do a little bit of self-reflection. Uh, it makes us ask whether our hearts as the people of God are aligned with God's compassionate and merciful heart. And then the, the third thing, it, it calls us to consider is God's intention to use us, to use the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, as a vehicle of His mercy and compassion in the world. So all those things are, are here in the story, and we'll touch on them as we, as we work our way through the book of Jonah. We're going to spend four weeks here in Jonah reflecting on God's scandalous mercy. And so today, uh, chapter 1, the beginning of this story. And let me pray before we look at the story. Our God and Father, we come to your word this morning eager to hear from you, eager to not only learn but to be transformed by your word. Would you help us as we look at this very familiar story? Would you give us fresh eyes? Would you help us to hear it in, a, in new ways and to receive it? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at the the story of of Jonah 1, and it it opens here in chapter 1 with God commissioning Jonah to prophetic service. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, we aren't told much about Jonah other than his, his father's name, Amittai, which means something like truth or faithfulness. And so we meet here, Jonah, son of faithfulness. And there's probably a bit of deliberate irony here, because as the story unfolds, you'll see Jonah is anything but faithful. Um, and we're supposed to know, however, that this Jonah is the same Jonah son of Amittai that we read about in 2 Kings 14. Matt read it for us earlier. Uh, this Jonah, he's a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel in the early 8th century B.C. during the reign of Jeroboam II. And, and what you need to know about that, it, it kind of came through a bit in the reading, is that Jeroboam II was a wicked king. Evil guy, bad guy. The northern kingdom of Israel is in a, in a, a, a bad way spiritually, morally during this time period. But the Lord used His prophet Jonah to announce that the Lord was going to have mercy on Israel. Despite the king's wickedness, despite the, the corruption of the people, he, he was going to use that king to expand Israel's borders. Uh, the northern kingdom had been harassed by foreign nations for quite some time, and, and Jeroboam was going to recover some of that territory for Israel. God was going to be merciful to his wayward people. And so you need to keep in mind as we go through Jonah that Jonah had experienced firsthand God extending mercy to wayward people. I mean he 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 proclaimed it. He was the prophet of salvation in in the northern kingdom. And so Jonah had experienced this, but apparently it hadn't really changed him. It hadn't really affected him. You see, Jonah's understanding of God's mercy was very distorted. And so, God calls Jonah to prophetic service and He tells him to go where? To Nineveh. Nineveh. And to, to warn the city. You know, the the, the message here at the, at the opening, uh, Arise, go up to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it for their evil has come up before me. It's as if God is surveying his world, and takes note of the evil of this city, and he tells Jonah to go and and warn them. Warn them that that the God who created all things sees their evil, and and judgment is coming. And, And by implication, judgment is coming unless they repent. Now, this may not be shocking to us as 21st century readers, but for Jonah and for the original readers of this book, to have God tell one of his prophets go to Nineveh? That it's just unthinkable. It's like a suicide mission. You know, Nineveh was a city part of the Assyrian Empire. And Assyria and Israel were just bitter enemies. Bitter, bitter enemies. And Assyria had a, a reputation for just being um, a very violent uh, empire, very oppressive empire. The Assyrian kings boasted about all the the grotesque forms of torture that they employed on on captive enemies, and and I'm not going to read some of the examples for you, but you can find them. Um, It's just disgusting, And, and they just, they delighted in torture. They delighted in causing suffering and pain. They really were the most brutal regime that history had known up until that point, and Jonah's supposed to go to, to Nineveh and preach a message that the people would find highly offensive? I mean, what is God thinking? Uh, you can kind of understand a bit how Jonah responds next. This commission comes, and then verse 3, we, we see Jonah's response. But Jonah rose, and it, so at first you think, okay, he's going. God said, arise, go. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. God says, Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh. Jonah runs the other way. <laughs> You've got to understand a little bit something about geography here. Imagine there's a giant map behind me. Uh, Nineveh is this way. Jonah goes that way. (laughs) Uh, Nineveh was to the east. Jonah travels down to Joppa on the Mediterranean coast and then hops on a ship and hightails it to Tarshish, which was probably in uh, southwest Spain on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. That was the end of the known world at the time. And so Jonah runs as far away as possible from Nineveh. But there's really more to it than just getting some distance between himself and Nineveh. Uh, We read there in verse 3 twice that Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And then twice we also read that he went down. Went down first to Joppa, then down into into the ship. We're going to see in a few moments he goes down again. And and the, the picture here is that Jonah's flight to Tarshish, um, it's a downward journey spiritually. Jonah's not even on the, on the ocean yet, on the sea, and he is sinking. He is sinking. He's trying to escape from prophetic service. Well, why did he run? And you might be thinking, well, you just told us how brutal the Assyrians were, and, and maybe he's afraid. And we could understand if he was, right? I mean, that would be a terrifying prospect to, to walk right into one of those cities as a Jewish prophet and to say, hey, <laughs> you're evil and judgment's coming unless you repent. Um, did he feel inadequate? And you find this kind of thing when God calls other prophets to service like Moses and Isaiah. And they say, well, Lord, I just I don't know how to speak. I'm not an eloquent speaker. Or and The text never says that that was Jonah's issue. And actually, we don't have to guess why Jonah ran. Um, you fast forward a little bit to chapter 4, and Jonah tells us himself why he hightailed it over to Tarshish. Uh, you know, just to um, recap what goes on, Jonah ends up in Nineveh. He preaches. The Ninevites repent. God shows mercy to them. And then we read Jonah's response in chapter 4, verse 2. We read, And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said to you, what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. (laughs) Do, Do you get what Jonah is saying here? He's saying, God, I know that you're merciful. And I don't like this idea of showing up in Nineveh and giving them a warning, which also gives them an opportunity to change their ways. And I know that if they do that, you're just going to be kind to them. You're going to be gracious to them. You're going to relent from disaster. In, In Jonah's mind, these Ninevites are violent. They're wicked. They're idolatrous. And they don't deserve mercy. They deserve judgment. No second chance for these people. Uh, their evil is too great. Let them just suffer the consequences of their wickedness. They, they, you know, they dug this hole. Let them fall into it. And Jonah's like, God, I, I, just, I know who you are, and I don't like it, and I'm going to run. <laughs> I don't want to do this. And you know, you could probably imagine Jonah in his own mind thinking, you know, God showing mercy to wayward Israel. I mean, that kind of makes sense. They're the covenant people. God has gone through all the trouble of, you know, rescuing them from Egypt and making them His own people. And um, but mercy for Nineveh? I mean, that's just too much. It was deeply offensive to Jonah, and so he runs. But the Lord won't let him get away so easily. And we read in verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. That, that word translated hurled was used for throwing a javelin. And it's like Jonah has a, a big target on his back and God just he launches <laughs> this storm right at, at Jonah, bullseye, you know, hits his mark. And then in verse 5, uh, we're introduced to some new characters in the story, the sailors. We read, then the mariners. So this, this storm comes up, it's windy, there's waves. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now keep in mind, these are experienced sailors they, they've been on the sea before they've encountered storms. this is kind of what they do, and they are terrified. they are losing their minds here and they start throwing the cargo over the overboard and this is their livelihood yeah, and they're just chucking it into the sea to try to save themselves. they're desperate they, they believe. They're going to drown, and they probably have good reason to believe that. They've seen storms before, and they know this one is a doozy. And and do you notice what they do there in, in verse five? Not only are they afraid, not only do they toss the cargo overboard, they pray. They pray. Now these are Gentile polytheists, and they're just praying to every god they can think of. You know, uh, we don't we don't know which one's going to help us, but let's just try. You know, that one, this one over here, and they're just praying. Meanwhile, where's Jonah? Verse 6, or continuing in verse 5. But Jonah had gone down. There's that language again downward trajectory. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The sailors are freaking out. The sailors are doing everything they can to try to survive. Jonah takes a nap. Uh, years ago, I went on an overnight uh, deep-sea fishing trip. You know, It's one of those trips where you're supposed to sleep for a few hours while the boat you know, kind of motors out far into the ocean. And, and there was no storm during this trip, um, but I can tell you I got zero sleep. You know, there, The water was a little choppy, the boat's rocking, and, and I was miserable. And there was no storm. And yet, here's Jonah in the midst of a, a violent storm And he's fast asleep. Uh, His conscience isn't troubled one bit by the decisions he's making. Um, No tossing and turning. Martin Luther says, there he lies and snores in his sins. (laughs) What a contrast. And this is a part of the, the book of Jonah, is the irony And the contrast between Jonah and others, especially the pagans. What a contrast between Jonah and the pagan sailors. They pray, God's prophet sleeps. They do all they can to keep the ship from going under, God's prophet disappears below deck. Um, He is just completely self-absorbed. He doesn't care at all that his rebellion is... Is causing others to, um, is putting others' lives in danger. He's just sleeping away. And the irony continues in verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? It's kind of like the favorite line of parents of teenagers. (laughs) What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The pagan captain reminds God's prophet of his religious responsibilities. (laughs) Pray! (laughs) What are you doing? And there's no indication that Jonah did pray, actually. He's still silent. Have you noticed that? We have not heard one word from Jonah at this point yet. Uh, He is just silent. Silent. Meanwhile, back on deck, verse 7, And they said to one another, the sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So these, these sailors are, are, are somewhat perceptive. They know that this is more than just you know a, an unfortunate weather pattern. Um, there's more to this storm. Someone has offended a god. And they don't know which god. And, and they cast lots to figure out who it is. And casting lots is kind of like an ancient form of rolling the dice. And they trust that the gods will, will use this, uh, this process to reveal who's at fault. And so verse 7 continues, So they cast lots, and wouldn't you know, the lot fell on Jonah. No accident there, right? Jonah can run. But he can't hide. Verse eight. Then they said to him, "Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and and of what people are you?" It's interesting. They don't immediately accuse him. the The lot falls on Jonah, but they just kind of pepper him with these questions. You know, who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do? And and here is the moment where Jonah is revealed for who he really is. Verse nine. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah makes this amazing confession of faith here. I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh, the Creator who made all things. And it, that, that phrase, fear, fearing the Lord, it's, it's a rich Old Testament phrase meaning something like, Loyalty and awe and reverence for God. But anybody witnessing Jonah's actions, what what would they conclude? (laughs) You don't fear Yahweh. You're a hypocrite. And the sailors, in a sense, see right through him. (laughs) They are just appalled at his behavior. Look at what happens in, in verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? It's both an exclamation and a, and a question. And, and the author tells us, For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And these pagan sailors look at Jonah and they're like, You are crazy. <laughs> what are you doing? They, they cannot imagine anyone treating their god this way, especially a God like Yahweh, whom Jonah has confessed as the, the creator of the dry land and the sea, where they are at the moment, you know, a, a God with cosmic power. And, and again, you see the contrast here between Jonah and the pagan sailors, I mean, they seem to have more respect for the divine than Jonah does. I mean, he just turns his back and and runs. And they're like, wait, you you don't do that to your God. And then continuing in, in verses 11 and 12, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? So they don't know Yahweh, and they're thinking, well, Jonah does, and so maybe he knows how to resolve this situation. What shall we do? And we read, For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, that in a sense, this is a significant moment. Jonah comes clean. I mean, to his credit, he admits, Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy. <laughs> this is all because of me. <laughs> but then he makes this just shocking request. Throw me in, <laughs> you know, fling me into the sea. And, and we as the readers are wondering, well, what is he hoping to accomplish by this? You know, what, what is he really after? And, and surprisingly, Jonah, for the first time, seems to be concerned about someone other than himself. You know, he, he's concerned about these sailors. He says, throw me in and the sea will quiet for you. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. It doesn't last long, though. But, um, it's just the first indication that that Jonah has given any thought to someone else. Now, if his only concern was to spare the sailors' lives, there's another option open to him, right? Just repent. (laughs) Jonah, (laughs) repent of your disobedience. And and no doubt Yahweh would calm the storm and the sailors would get Jonah back to dry land and off to Nineveh he could go. But Jonah won't repent. (laughs) The the thought doesn't even he doesn't even seem to entertain the possibility, and yet Jonah realizes there's no escaping Yahweh's commission. I mean, he is the God who can hurl a storm um, at him, and so Jonah chooses death. Jonah chooses death rather than obeying the Lord. He would rather be plunged into the waters of God's judgment than give the Ninevites opportunity to receive God's mercy. You know, he's probably thinking, well, if I'm dead, there's no way I can do what Yahweh tells me to do. And so that's what I pick. He's a messed up guy, isn't he? I told you he's a rotten dude. He, he is really conflicted. And then we read in verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And again, I, I, you're going to get tired of me pointing this out, but the contrast. They're doing all they can to save Jonah. These pagan sailors are trying to save Jonah. Jonah doesn't even want to step foot in Nineveh and preach to a bunch of pagans there. But, the sailors too realize there's no escape. There's no escape for Jonah. And so verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord. And, and keep in mind, that is Yahweh, God's covenant name. They, they are not praying to all the random gods that they grew up believing in. They're praying to the Lord now. And they say, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. I mean, they realize this is God. This is Yahweh's doing. He He brought about this sequence of events, and, and there's nothing we can do. This is the the only option left to us is to throw Jonah overboard. And so, don't don't you know uh, don't hold it against us, Yahweh. Again, who's praying to Yahweh? The pagans, not Jonah. And so, verse fifteen. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging then the men feared the lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the lord and made vows jonah professed to fear the lord but these pagan sailors actually demonstrate true fear of the lord through their actions they they offer sacrifices to the lord they they make vows to him and all this all probably happened after they reached land. I mean, you're not going to want to start a big, you know, bonfire for the sacrifices in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the ocean. Um, but they they demonstrate true fear of Yahweh, true awe and reverence of the true God. And so despite Jonah's best efforts to avoid being used by God, to avoid being God's instrument of conversion to outsiders, These men have come to faith in Yahweh (laughs) through the most unlikely of means. I mean, Jonah didn't even preach to them. He, he, He just made a mess of things, and yet they come to faith in the Lord. And then we read in verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, at this point, it sounds like Jonah's Done for, right? I mean, he's he's plunged into the watery chaos, swallowed up by this great uh, sea monster, this great fish. He spends three nights and or three days and three nights, in the fish's belly just kind of swimming around in the digestive juices. It, it looks like God did him in. But it's not the end of the story. And, and we'll come back to Jonah in the belly of the fish next week. We'll talk more about that when we get to chapter two. Next week, but the story of jonah you know it 's a riveting story it 's a fun story it 's a confusing story. Um, what are we supposed to learn from it as we 've looked now at, at chapter one what is uh, what are we as the people of God supposed to take away from this and there's there 's three things I, I think we need to consider consider we 'll just go through these briefly, but Lesson number one God's mercy is shocking. God's mercy is shocking. How is God's mercy shocking? I mean, we're church people. (laughs) Why why would God's mercy be shocking? Well, for many people, um, you know, they assume the God of the Bible is just some kind of hot tempered, capricious. Uh, being who flies off the handle whenever human beings don't do what he wants. And, and maybe parts of the story here so far even seem to confirm that. You know, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he runs, and God hurls this storm at him. But the, the shock, you know, it comes when we realize that Jonah's beef with God is that he's too merciful. <laughs> God, uh, Jonah's like, God, you are just too kind, and Jonah thinks he's too easy on people who don't deserve it. And the message of Jonah and really of the whole Bible is that the God of the Bible is boundless in His mercy. And that, that is shocking to some people because it's not what they expected. It's not what they've experienced maybe in, um, in religious contexts, And yet, the book of Jonah tells us this God is gracious and compassionate. Chapter 4, verse 2. Key verse. For understanding the book of Jonah. But for others of us, it's a little different. You know, like I said, we're church people. We're not shocked by the fact that God is merciful, right? I mean, we delight in God's mercy. We're going to sing at the end of the service, His mercy is more. I mean, we're just like, Yes, God, I I love your mercy. Thank you for your grace. And we really love God's mercy toward us. It gets a little more tricky when we think about God's mercy toward them. Uh, maybe our enemies, the people we don't we're not really fond of. You know, I, I find myself thinking things like, Yes, I'm a sinner, yes, I mess up, but you know, I, I mean well. And and it wasn't really, my screw ups, you know, they're not really that bad. And after all, I'm a pastor. I pray. I read the Bible. I talk to people about God. And, and of course, God would want to show me mercy. I am mean, Pastor Ryan, right? I'm not shocked by that. I'm shocked that God would want to show mercy to, you know, those disgusting people out there. You know, those people beyond the pale, does God even care about them? Does God want to show them mercy? You know, I I don't know, just name your group. I don't don't know who it is for you. You could think, does, does God want to show mercy to people in the LGBTQ community? Does does God want to show mercy to executives at Planned Parenthood? Does God want to show mercy to people on the other side of the political aisle from you? Just name your group. <laughs> and, and, and often we're quick to conclude, nope, nope, God doesn't want to show them mercy. They're too far gone. Uh, what God wants for them is judgment. That, that's what he's eager to, to demonstrate toward them. And, and a key lesson that God is teaching Jonah here in the book of Jonah, a key lesson he's teaching us as readers of Jonah, is that Jonah is just as undeserving of God's mercy as the wicked Ninevites. Yet God delivers him from drowning. If you didn't know the story, sorry, I just messed it up for you. Uh, God delivers him from drowning. And if God could show mercy to a rebellious, hard-hearted prophet, why not Nineveh? Why not Nineveh? And, And when I stop being shocked by God's mercy toward me, and instead take offense at God's mercy toward people I don't think deserve mercy, I am suffering from Gospel amnesia. I have forgotten what reality is. (laughs) Reality is that if God can be merciful and gracious toward me, there's hope for anyone. And on the flip side, if God can't show mercy to them, there's no hope for me. And so the, the first lesson is that God's mercy is shocking. The second is that God's mercy is challenging. And here's what I mean by that. As as recipients of God's mercy. So we receive God's mercy. We delight in God's mercy. We recognize we don't deserve God's mercy. and And that's wonderful. But as recipients of God's mercy, God intends to use us as instruments of His mercy in the world. And, you know, Jonah... Perfectly happy to preach grace and mercy to the people of God. Hey, wayward uh, people of Israel, you know you you've been disobedient to the Lord. You're not following him, but turn from your wicked ways, and and God's going to be gracious to you. He's going to do wonderful things for you, you know. And 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 God does those things for them, and He's just you know happy to do that. But He wanted nothing to do with being the the mouthpiece of God's mercy for the wicked Ninevites. You know, it's like He's saying to himself, you know, if God wants to be merciful to those terrible people, fine. <laughs> but keep me out of it. I don't want anything to do with that. And, and, you know, churches, we tend to get comfortable just doing church life. You know, gathering on Sunday, community groups during the week, you know, Bible studies, um, discipleship groups, hanging out with people from church. Um, all great things, by the way, nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, they're all good and important even but but after a while, and you've probably know, seen this in your own life, if you've been a Christian for some time now, after a while, we tend not to step foot out of the Christian ghetto any longer. and, and we we avoid people outside of our Christian. Circle and it's kind of like you know we're just gonna we're gonna gather together we're gonna rejoice in God's mercy and let's just try to you know not think about those people out there and, and look as a pastor I'm probably more guilty of this than anyone you know I get I get paid to spend time with Christians I get paid to to read my Bible to pray and to teach others and so I'm talking to myself here just as much as I'm talking. To you. But the thing is, God calls us. His mercy calls us toward uh, others. His His mercy calls us to go beyond our comfort zone. God's mercy sends us into the world as as vehicles of His mercy. His mercy, you know, pushes us toward Nineveh or or whatever analogy. Works for you, and 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 that call it, it takes different forms. You know, it it could be evangelism, it can be hospitality, friendship, um, working with the poor, showing basic kindness to neighbors. <laughs> Do you realize how lacking that is today? Uh, just basic decency and kindness in public, and, and people they notice it. They notice it because they don't experience it very often, and we of all people, as followers of the, the lowly and gentle Savior, um, should be known for showing kindness. It gets people's attention. And, and let me just tell you, next week we're beginning a new adult Sunday school series called Neighboring Revisited, and we're going to talk about these kinds of things for a few weeks. So, so come back next Sunday, 9 a.m., and we're going to learn how to break out of the Christian ghetto. God's mercy is shocking. It's challenging, the third and and final lesson here from chapter 1 this morning. God's mercy is relentless. God pursues rebels. And it's not just with a storm to do them in. He pursues them with His mercy and His love. And you think about it here. God did not give up on Nineveh. And, and and let's be clear, the Ninevites were wicked. These are evil people. Uh, I I am not making light of their evil by saying you know Jonah is such a you know hard-hearted person. Uh, they were wicked people, violent, idolatrous. God's prophet didn't even want to be around them, and yet God's mercy would not be stopped. And and a, another spoiler alert: Jonah ends up there. You know the people repent. Mercy, our reluctance to be used by God as as vehicles of His mercy uh, will not stop Him from showing mercy. He pursues rebels. And and I'll tell you what, that gives a lot of hope to us for people we love who are rebels. (laughs) People we love who seem to just be running as fast and as far as they can away from God, you know, your, your wayward child, or your unbelieving spouse, or you know, your atheist sibling whom you've prayed for for years and years, uh, God can reach them with His mercy, even when His people throw temper tantrums and refuse to be the mouthpiece of mercy. God doesn't give up on Jonahs either. And it's really amazing. Here as as we'll see as the story continues. You know, sometimes as believers we find ourselves running from God. Uh, Jonah is not an unbeliever, okay? Jonah is a believer, a deeply conflicted conflicted believer, um, a very poor model of what a follower of Yahweh is, but he is a believer and he's running. And sometimes we find ourselves in that same position. We're trying to avoid doing God's will. We're throwing our temper tantrums about what, what God requires of us, making a mess of our lives, hurting others. But, but God, and this is good news, God knows how to hurl a storm our way. God knows how to appoint a great fish to swallow us up and bring us back to our senses. You see, God pursues us. We, we can run. But we can't outrun His mercy. God will hunt us down in the best of ways and return us to our senses. And so, the book of Jonah. It's sort of like a mirror, and this is the challenge of Jonah. It's uncomfortable. You know, maybe you came here this morning thinking, oh, Jonah's a fun little story, you know, about this guy on a boat and then a a whale and a fish and other things, a little plant and, and so forth. Uh, it's an uncomfortable story. The, the author rakes Jonah over the coals again and again, and he does it because he wants us to see ourselves in the story. Jonah's a real figure, but he's also a representational figure. He, he represents the people of God who have kind of lost their way the people of God whose hearts have kind of gone out of gone into misalignment and they've wandered from God's ways and and the the author of Jonah wants us to see the ways we might resemble Jonah. He wants us to see our pride, our our self-centeredness, our our lack of compassion. And, and so you know, in the story it's the Ninevites who are called to repent, but through the story it's the people of God who are called to repentance. But but that's not the only thing in the story of Jonah, and, and thank God for that. Jonah also points us to Jonah's God. And so we see here in this brief little Old Testament short story, you know, a God whose mercy is boundless. A God who pursues rebels. A, a God whose mercy, we know from the rest of the Bible, came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus refers to Himself as the greater Jonah. You think about it. Jesus was eager to go on the Father's mission of mercy to, to rebellious human beings, to undeserving sinners. You know, Though He was innocent, He willingly was plunged into the waters of death for our sins and He emerged from that grave uh, to give us mercy. To give us resurrection life. Uh, Jesus is the one through whom God's relentless mercy has, has laid hold of us and will not let go. (laughs) And so we, as the people of God, our response should be, praise God for scandalous mercy. (laughs) Right? Because that is our only hope. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, we thank You that maybe contrary to our expectations and and maybe in ways we've not fully grasped, You are a God of compassion and mercy and grace that You are determined to bring mercy and grace to rebellious people. We thank You that You have reached us with that mercy. Would You help us to delight in it, to understand it, and to be eager to to be your vehicles of mercy in this world. We pray that you would use the book of Jonah in our lives in the coming weeks. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.